Kids may be. All I see are adults leaving. Kids may go. <laughs> this is my chance. All right, we're in Matthew. Go to Matthew. Uh, chapter 15 is where we're at, so we're just cruising. We're making our way right through there. Matthew chapter uh, 15. And uh, we're going to take uh, 1 through 20 of chapter 15. Yeah, some of you are like, well, this is going to be a long one because David's doing it. We're going to be okay, Dave. Just relax. We're going to be good. I'm going to get you out of here for lunch. We're going to the Phyllises, right? We all want to get there. Uh, I always like to read the text first because I just feel like it should be read the way that God has written it down, and then I'll go back and kind of mess it up a little bit. So um, we're going to read 1 through 20, chapter 15. The Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And he answered them and he said, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your mother and your father. Whoever reviles mother or father must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what would you have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his mother or father. For the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Verse 10, and he called the people to him and he said to them, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. And then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And he answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain this parable to us. And he said, are you also, are you, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anybody. So what we see from uh, last week's teaching is that Jesus is in <clears throat> Gennesaret. That's just, what I'm gonna, that's just how I'm going to pronounce it. I don't know if that's right or not. Gennesaret. It sounds, it sounds right to me. Okay. And uh, the first thing that we notice here is that the Pharisees and the scribes are going out of their way to find, to hunt Jesus down. And what's interesting is if you go to a map and you find Gennesaret, and then you go to a map and you find Jerusalem, and then you find the distance between them, it's about 90 miles. What that means is that these guys are now going way out of their way to find Jesus. Way out of their way. Um, very rarely, by the way, did Jesus go looking for trouble, okay? Uh, trouble always found him, always, and he just dealt with it as it found him. And here, once more, we have trouble finding him, um, and like I said, these guys had to go 90 miles, so think about this, like there's no train, there's no plane, there's no cars, there's no Harleys, 
there's no skateboards even, no pavement to skate on. Like, these dudes are like, this is a trek. This would take some time. This is an investment that, that these guys are having to make in order to, to confront Jesus with this all-important question, why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat? 90 miles. 90 miles. Why don't they wash their hands before they eat? It's amazing. So almost 100 miles one way on foot to challenge Jesus as to why his disciples don't wash up before eating. And what this does is it tells us a lot about these guys, doesn't it? Like it, it kind of it gives us a lot of information. There, there's absolute desperation right now with the Jewish religious leaders, leaders over what Jesus is doing and how he's stirring things up. There's desperate, there is a plot now that is clear, right? There is a conspiracy, you might even say, going on that is clear at this point. And um, one of the reasons that this is so ridiculous, one of the other reasons why this trek is so ridiculous is because what they're challenging Jesus on is with the oral law. The oral law. The oral law was a law of tradition. It was not one of the written commands of God, okay? So the, the oral law, uh, just to let you know, in, in large part, part was complete tradition. You had these guys called the scribes, right? And they're present here. And then, of course, you had the Pharisees. And a lot of times these guys traveled together. But scribes, their whole basic, their job, their whole purpose was to protect and preserve the word of God, to exact the word of God, uh, to keep it. Um, and so what they would do as they would sit around the protection of the word of God is they would have discussions on what it was that they were protecting, right? So they, would, so they would have then interpretations of God's law that then they would make a whole new law with. It was really, so these guys were like hair splitters for the law, and then out of their hair splitting of God's written law would come the traditions or what we call uh, the oral law, okay? So that's the, the scribes. Then you had the Pharisees. Does anyone even know what the, the word Pharisee means? separatist, like separated. Um, so uh, even exclusively religious is basically what a Pharisee was, which, which in and of itself sounds kind of neat that you had a bunch of dudes that were like dedicated and, and set apart to the Lord, but it always inevitably ended up being a superiority complex, right? And they would help the scribes uh, institute uh, these, these oral laws, that was part of how they would do it. So th these guys, all of them would eat up the extensions of the law, right, and then enforce those as well. Ultimately, what the scribes and the Pharisees did is they viewed the oral law as a fence, okay? This was their motive or in the, their intention in the moral law. They viewed it as a, a fence. It was meant to, uh, to be a set of laws that guarded the written law of, of God, um, in, in other words, their intention was like, we, we don't want people to even get close to breaking the law of God, so we're going to put up a fence around the law of God of these other superficial law extensions, so people have to climb over those in order to get to the written law. I mean, it sounds kind of neat. It's really dumb, because all it really ended up doing like, was creating more laws to break right? <laughs> like that's ultimately all it did. Um, one of them, uh, the washing of hands before you ate. 
uh, which is funny because we practiced that law in my house growing up. How many of you practiced that law in your house growing up? Yeah, you, you absolutely got to wash your hands. I mean, after all, we all know that nothing makes you more godly than properly washing your hands before you eat, right? We all, we all know the verse, cleanliness is next to godliness, right? Which is not a verse. It's not, it's not there. Go ahead and look for it. Have fun. Not there. But we're all told like that was like scripture, like gospel. Um, when my daughter was young, my mom had given her a towel once, and the towel said, wash your hands and say your prayers because Jesus and germs are everywhere, <laughs> right? Which, which seemed kind of cute, and, and yeah, we all laugh, but it gives you the impression like if you don't do this, like Jesus is not going to be happy with you, uh, and that's bad. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's really bad. Um, now, we all know that there were cleansings, there were washings that were implemented by God, upon the Levitical priesthood during their ceremonies, but these guys were now taking it to a whole nother level with everybody. They're imposing these rituals on everybody now. And the bottom line, in most cases, when it came to these dudes, is tradition was nothing more than self-imposed religion, okay? Which is never fun. It's never fun for anybody. As if we need more things to trip over, okay? So these dudes travel 90 miles to ask Jesus the question, why do you transgress the tradition of the elders? To which Jesus responds, verse 3, why do you transgress the commandment of God for your traditions? Okay? Um, this is basically a mic drop, if they had mics back in the day. All right? uh, and what this means is like, don't fight with Jesus. He's always going to make you look stupid every single time. Uh, I know because I do this often. And then I open my Bible... And I see something that I need to see, and it's just humiliating every time it puts me to shame. Don't fight with Jesus. Uh, the, the question that Jesus asks is a good question. And it's even one that is even worth us occasionally asking and answering today. Because there are many <clears throat> in the church today. There are even many churches today that place tradition above a clean and a clear exposition of Scripture. One of the biggest, oldest, I'm going to call it a denomination, that goes back historically to the apostles even, is one of those that has the greatest amount of traditions that they hold to, which is funny enough what makes them distinct. It's what gives them their distinctives. Whether it be, and I don't want to get mad and listen to me. I have a ton. I'm not talking about these guys, but I have, a, I have a ton of Lutheran friends. I have a ton of Presbyterian friends. Like, I love all these guys. In fact, I think I'm one part each, okay, when it comes to what I believe. Uh, but a lot of what they have came out of this other group, which stands on things like pedo-baptism, which means infant baptism, okay? Now, that in and of itself is not horrible, but... Is it something that Christ has given us in our scriptures, right? This is an early tradition, okay? Uh, even things like transubstantiation in communion, which means that we are re-crucifying Jesus every time we come to the table. That that grape juice that we use and the crackers or bread that we use literally somehow turns into the body and the blood of Christ, and he is there. His body is really there. His blood is really there. He's basically still on the cross, that is a long-standing tradition that goes way back. 
even, this is going to be the dead giveaway of who I'm talking about, the fact that the church is the ultimate authority rather than the Bible. That is a tradition that is not biblical. Yes, the church has authority in many ways that it needs to be and that God has given uh, it, it authority to exercise, right? But ultimately, Scripture is the final say. This is why the Reformers stood up against this group of people I'm talking about in the 1500s and said, Scripture alone is our authority. Because up to that point, it had been the church alone, which means some tall, infallible, like, or fallible sinner with a big white hat or a scarlet one could change rules every day for everybody. And it was, it, it was like whatever was the flavor of the day is what the church became, what the church believed, what the church practiced, and the scriptures would say no. Just like you said today, Gail, God is the same. He does not change. What he has given us in his word does not change. This is the only safe place for you and I to go to know the will of God once for all for the people of God. It's here in our scriptures. But these are traditions. And the argument will be, it's always been done this way ever since the apostles. You know what I'm saying? And, and I'm going to say, like, there is some weight to that at times. There is some weight to that argument at times that this is something that's always gone back. But it, it, it better ultimately find its place here. Or what are we doing? Where did it come from? You know what I'm saying? Just because something has been done or around or practiced for a long time doesn't mean it's of God. And it doesn't mean that God approves of it. It just means that it's been practiced for a long time. That's what it means. Time itself does not equate to right doctrine. I'll give you a really good example of this. First Corinthians, the entire book is what? Kind of a rebuke and a correction by Paul to the Corinthian church. Now, what's weird is that this is one of the earliest epistles that I think we have written to this church. And it's probably only, the first Corinthians is probably only 10 or 20 years removed from when Paul was actually there teaching the gospel, forming the church, putting it together, and installing doctrine into this church. And here he is 10 or 20 years later writing this letter of complete correction because these dudes are going sideways already. One of them being chapter 15, the most important doctrine that the church has. I mean, the church stands or falls on the resurrection. And they're already going sideways and learning and accumulating and absorbing new traditions in the resurrection of Christ. It wasn't really that. It was this. And so, he's, so we can go sideways really quick. I don't know about you daily, okay? Daily. That's, what, that's why I need to be in my word daily. That's why I need the gospel preached to me daily. That's why I need to be on my knees before a God that does not change daily. That's why I need you. I need truth tellers in my life saying, stop that. Don't do that. Go this way right? Daily, because we, we go astray quick, quick. All right. If we insist on majoring and centering our identity as a denomination around an extra biblical tradition as our highest value and our highest distinction, we might kill people spiritually. This is really what's happening here. This is why this is dangerous, Right? By, by, by them thinking they have something, by people thinking they have something they do not have. R.C. Sproul said, religion without faith is a deadly thing. I completely agree. And it can be a deadly thing because it relies, like with these guys, on appearance, not reality. On something you do, not something you have. 
Jesus rebukes these guys on caring more about upholding their tradition rather than God's clear command due to what he calls them out on next. Verses 4 through 6. For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, uh, what you would have gained from me is given to God, then he, need not honor his, then he need not honor his father or mother. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. This sounds a little bit confusing, even more confusing by the way that I just read it because I completely didn't help you with that. Uh, the Jews had this thing called korban, okay? And, and um, again, korban is oral law. It was something added uh, by them. And what korban meant was dedicated to God, dedicated to God or set apart uh, when, when it came to something that you possessed or owned for God, well, which sounds good, right? I mean, everything ultimately that you and I have is from him, which means that he ultimately owns it. Like it's, it's his, right? So, so far, so good. Um, however, it becomes not good if your parents fall on hard times and they needed maybe, let's say, a chair, or a piece of clothing from you, or a loaf of bread from you. Because the child would then cite Korban and withhold that item that's in need by their parent because it's set apart for God. It's dedicated to God. And this is what these guys were doing. And what this is is code for being a selfish jerk to your parents. That's what this is. It was a scam to get out of the clear, plainly written fifth commandment of God, which says, honor your father and your mother. And, and apparently this was something these dudes were good at because uh, Jesus is totally pulling their covers on it right here. He's calling them on it. Jesus says, you guys make the clear command of God of no effect due to your own traditions. Or if he asked it, why do you esteem the traditions of God above God's word? Uh, or the traditions above God's word. This is nothing short of a stern rebuke, what Jesus is doing here, in, in front of a lot of people, in front of a lot of people. Uh, Jesus has just exposed and humiliated these guys publicly, and you don't do that with these guys. You don't do that with the scribes. You don't do that with the Pharisees. You just don't talk to these guys that way, especially in front of others. But wait, there's more. He's not done yet, right? Verses 7 through 9 you hypocrites. And we get the impression our punctuation is, is maybe added, but I, I think it's there to convey the, the translation, you hypocrites. This is stern. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So Jesus now gives the scribes and the Pharisees a new name and a new title. Uh, it is called hypocrites. And a hypocrite, back in the day, I think we know what it is, but back at that time, it, it, it conjured up a very specific image and specific meaning and specific type of person. Because what it meant is um, to live behind a mask. So a hypocrite actually meant that you were an actor back in the day. So they, we, we, our actors today, we can see the same face whoever that person is playing different parts in different movies. Back then, uh, their actors, when they would have plays, there was always a mask. There was always something that was put over your face 
that you would wear so that no one knew that it was you and it just looked like the characterization of whoever it was you were trying to characterize, right? So he's calling them actors. That's what he's doing. You actors is what he's saying. Um, and, you know, when, when it came to Jesus addressing hypocrites, like he never, he never held back. He always emptied his entire clip on these guys, like, like fully. He pulled no punches. He was not a fan. And uh, we're going to see this on full display when we get to chapter 23. It's going to get really gnarly uh, with the word actor. I once heard a preacher say, the scribes and the Pharisees preached by the yard, they practiced by the inch, so Jesus gave it to them by the foot, right? So like a swift, swift and powerful kick. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's given him the foot. He's given him the boot. And they deserved it, did they not? Like these guys totally deserve it. With them, it's all mouth, it's all words, and it's no heart. And because that's true, Jesus has a verse for him, right? And he pulls it out, he quotes it. He follows up here by quoting from the prophet Isaiah and makes it clear to them, oh, by the way, like, before I, I do this, like, when Isaiah said this, like, he was saying this about you. Like, that's pretty hardcore in and of itself. And this Isaiah quote is the very biblical definition of hypocrisy, right? Appearance with no substance, um, mechanical living, no natural living. You speak as God followers, you appear as God followers, but you aren't God followers. You are actors only. Again, don't fight Jesus. It's just, ne it's never going to go well when you fight Jesus. Okay? Verses 10 through 11, he called the people to him and he said to them, hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. So Jesus now turns his attention to the multitude, the others who have watched this interaction go down up to this point, the population that was present there that day, to witness this momentous slapdown, and he tells them to bring it in, okay? Like, come, come close, pay attention, right? That's what hear and understand would be. Like, pay close attention to what I'm about to say next. And what comes next is for you and I as well here today. This is extremely appropriate for us to know and to learn and to take in and to accept today. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. And so Jesus, in typical Jesus fashion, busts out a parable. That's what this is. And in this parable, in this teaching, is a truth that explains so much about you and me and so much about the world that we live in today around us. Because it means that we... Each of us have a problem. We have a big problem that cannot be fixed by washing our hands and cleaning up and putting makeup on, taking a shower once in a while. You know what I mean? Like e even like tightening up our diet. Like we have a bigger problem. If only that was it. That would be fantastic. But it's more than that. What Jesus is revealing here flies in the face of everything that human beings tend to think and believe about themselves. And that is that being, that being that we are just a nice, kind, loving, God-pleasing, moral agent, and it's that which is outside of us that's the issue. 
we're okay, and we're capable of being okay. It's those things outside of me that are creating issues for me. And because the people and things that are outside of me are the issue, the longer that we live, the longer that we move around and work and, and live in this world, the more we get contaminated, right? The, those things corrupt us. We tend to place the problems within us exclusively on that which is outside of us. I can't even stand watching the news anymore for this one reason. is because anytime anything happens, even if it's a natural catastrophic event, you just watch the blame game. We've all got to find someone to put our finger on to go, it's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. We're always looking for it. It's insane, right? This is bad. That is bad. They caused me to do it. That person made me react that way. That circumstance forced me to respond that way. The devil made me do it, right? It's the whole blame game thing that we do. But Jesus here is making clear, he's making a clear declaration that that which already resides within us is the problem, is the problem. We'll come back to this when Jesus explains the parable because it flies over the disciples' heads, well, Peter's at least, as we will see. So the disciples then come to him, must be sometime later after this discourse, and they say, verse 12, uh, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? That's just kind of weird, a weird thing to like that they were most concerned about that. So we do know that they were really curious about, they want to know what Jesus' thoughts were on that whole interaction. Like they were curious about what he thought of that. Like, do you, do you think that they were offended? What do you guys think? Do you think that Jesus knew that they were offended with what he did, right? Uh, do, do you think he knew like he was going for the jugular when he said what he said? Um, and, and the answer is, of course he did. Like, of course he did. Like he meant to offend them. It was his intent, not because, and this is where you and I need to be careful, not because Jesus takes pleasure in being a jerk towards other people, but because with Jesus, truth always reigns. Truth always reigns. He is the embodiment of truth, the person of truth. He cannot help but be truth and speak truth and say truth, which actors hate right? There's this popular shirt that people wear these days. I don't know, maybe it's been around a while. <laughs> I've just seen it a lot lately. Uh, and it says real big on the front, choose love, right? Which, uh, which we all like, but we all know what it means, okay? <laughs> in the day in which we live, like it means like accept and champion everything that everyone chooses to believe or do, or else you're a hater. Choose love, right? And you can almost imagine, like, if Jesus had one of these, if he was living today, he would have a shirt that said, choose truth, right? And on the back, it could even say, like, because truth is love, right? This is really what we always see him doing. Like, you can't separate the two. We can't call truth one thing and love one thing, and they're completely bifurcated from each other. No, they, 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 they are directly joined together. They are the same thing, Right? Um, I, I think it's easy for you and I to think that the touchiness in today's culture and, and the people being easily triggered, easily offended today um, is, is something new, but it's not, people. This is something old. This is something that has always been around. As long as truth has been around, offense has been around. It's nothing new. 
as old as truth-telling. And uh, how did it end for Jesus? How did it end for Jesus? He got canceled on a cross. Canceled on a cross. Why? Because one of the true marks of a hypocrite is that they will always be offended by the truth. That's a mark of a hypocrite. And I can promise you, I can promise you here that Jesus was not into verbal abuse. He was into truth-telling. And because he was about truth-telling, there was a lot of offending going on around him, even back in his day. Okay, 13. Let's better keep moving here. Uh, Jesus answers them at this point. Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. I don't know what comes to mind for you, but uh, just two chapters ago, in chapter 13, we had a string of kingdom parables given to us by Jesus, one of them being the, the field and the wheat and the weeds. That's what comes to mind. And what we know from that, the truths of that parable is that the kingdom reality is that God created the world. It is his. It only exists because God called it and willed it into existence. And then after creating that world, he actually planted a crop, okay, which he also willed and purposed as well. But then at one point, someone else came in and planted their crop in that same field. So we have a world with basically two different types of people. We've got wheat and we've got weeds. We've got, we've got the stuff that God has planted and we've got the stuff that, that God has not planted. And the truth is, that's even true in here. That's even true in the church. We've got the same thing, but because you and I don't have the x-ray vision of Jesus, we don't know who's who, okay? So we trust each other by the fruits and the evidences and the, the way that people walk. But this is like the, re the reality, and this is, Jesus is just like reiterating this reality again using vegetation, using crops as basically a, an allegory, right? All that the Father has, has planted are his, all that the Father hasn't planted will be what? uprooted. This is straight judgment language, right? They're like, they're going to be pulled. Um, this is the good news. This is the good news that things will not always be the way that they are right now for you and I in this world. It is hard to watch sometimes. It is hard to live in. And I don't want anybody to go to hell. I don't want anybody to be on the wrong side of God when that day comes. But at the same time, we're all going to praise God when he uproots and purifies everything that's not his in this world, right? And um, Jesus is declaring that here. All right. 14, better keep moving. Let them alone, they are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Let them alone means stay away from them. That's what it means. It means stay away from them. It doesn't mean... You have an excuse to not love them or you have an excuse to not share the gospel with them if you get the opportunity to, right? These guys are a little different, but I'm talking about the way you and I might want to interpret this, okay? Um, it, it doesn't mean don't have any relational interactions with them whatsoever. It means don't follow them. Don't follow them. That's the important thing for us to know. Why? Because they're blind guides, right? They cannot see. And if they cannot see, they will lead you inevitably um, off the same cliff that they are walking off of. That's it, right? This is why we care so much about you guys and, and what you take in. We care so much not about your food diet, but about your mind diet. You know what I mean? During the week, I, re I remember like 
when I was youth pastoring back in the day, I, I, I felt like so overwhelmed because I had this room of like 40 kids that were in high school. And um, they, would come in every, they would come in every week and I would have basically an hour to undo all of the garbage that they had learned throughout the rest of the week, whatever, however many hours that was throughout the rest of the week because of who they hung out with and the kind of stories that they heard and the kind of garbage that they watched on TV, the kind of music that they stuck into their ear. And I had like, you know, I, I remember the pastor at one point coming to me and going, you, like, you, I want you to start with a game. And it'd be like, what do you mean a game? Like I have an hour. All I have is an hour to undo everything that these kids are walking in here with, right? Like I, I want you guys to know that we, we care so much about what you're consuming. We care about the other pastors that you guys are listening to. When you go home, I hope that you're hearing other sermons, but I hope that they're good ones. I hope that you're hearing people that are worth listening to, that are faithful to the word of God, that are careful about standing fast on that which is true, because there is so much garbage out there in the church anymore. There's so much garbage in the Christian world. We've had people leave this church because one, once in a while, we will throw names from the pulpit. Like, if we feel like they're public enough and they're harmful enough and enough people are following these people around, we will name drop. And there's been a couple times that we have name dropped and we've had people go, I love that guy. We're out of here if you got a problem with it. And it sucks because we love, we're trying to protect these people. That's why we're doing it. We care about what you guys are consuming. We care about what your spiritual diet is. Read the right books. Listen to the right pastors, right? Read a decent version of the Bible. It's sad that we laugh, but it's true, huh? Man, some of that stuff out there. Oh, goodness. Don't, we don't have time. That would be a fun one to get into. Don't have time. All right? 15. Peter says to Jesus, explain the parable to us. So he's like, look, can we get back to like talking about food? You know? Like, can we talk about eating? Um, and uh, so he obviously didn't understand the first time. Um, what goes into the mouth is the parable being referenced, okay, in case you missed that, what goes into the mouth does not defile, but what comes out of the mouth, that's the parable. And this is really interesting to think about because um, future Peter is going to have to be taught this lesson again, right? So he, he doesn't get it, and he's like, what do you mean about this being clean and that being unclean or not unclean? If we fast forward to future Peter, like not disciple Peter, but apostle Peter, in Acts chapter 10, He's going to have to be taught this, this message again, except with people instead of with sin, right? Because we got Cornelius, we got the, the dude from the Italian cohort, comes down after he gets a dream from Jesus, and uh, Peter's up, you know, taking a, uh, taking a siesta um, up, on, up on, the, on the roof, and he gets the dream of all the meat that comes down, and he's like, there's no way I'm eating this stuff. And God's like, what I call clean? Like, how dare you call him clean? Like, you can't do that. It's clean. And then, of course, he gets a knock on the door. It's a Gentile that he never would have given the time of day to. And boom, they're off and running. So he's going to get this lesson uh, a couple times, twice. Once as a, 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 a disciple, once as an apostle. But Jesus goes on to explain it to him. Are you still without understanding, Peter? Okay, uh, here we go. And he, he says that in 16. And then we've got 17 through 20, which is basically the unpacking of this parable We'll just read it. Do, not, uh, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. This defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. 
actually a short list. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, if we know of the other, if we're familiar with the other lists in our Bible, like it, it, there's more. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Praise God for that. You know? Jesus proceeds to explain the meaning of the parable here, and we're going to take the rest of our time as we close to just summarize what I think we need to grab. Okay? Um, first off, when Jesus says the word heart, just so you know, I think you do, he's not talking about the organ that pumps blood. I know that we all know that, but I'm just going to say it again anyway. Um, he's not talking about the organ that pumps blood. Uh, what Jesus is speaking to here is that which makes us us. That which makes us us. It is the mind. It is the thoughts. It is the intention. It is the motives, the desires, the passions, the will, the makeup of that within us which brings forth that which comes out of us. That's the heart. Proverbs 23, 7. We see stuff like this throughout the Bible. For as a man thinks, so he is in his heart. Very simple saying. A lot to think about in that one. Um, it is that which makes us who we are. So uh, it's kind of like the command center, if you will, of who you are as a person. It's kind of like HQ, like headquarters, for who you are and what makes you you. Je when Jeremiah says the heart is desperately wicked, who can know it? He's not speaking of the organ, obviously. He's speaking of the mind. He's speaking of thoughts, intentions, motives, desires, passions, the will of man, that which makes us us, which means that we have nothing and no one outside of us to blame but ourselves for our shortfall in righteousness and our propensity for sin. No one to blame but ourselves. Again, it is not that which is outside of us that makes us bad. It's that which is inside of us already, which makes us bad. For instance, money is the root of all evil, right? Have you ever heard it said that way? Yes. All the time, right? And it's really convenient. Money is the root of all evil because it allows us to do this with our pointer finger and point at money, this thing outside of us, right? But the actual verse is that money, the love of money is the root of all evil, which causes the finger to come back at us. This thing that originates inside of us. It's this thing that's here, it's, it, which, which determines, which dictates what we do with that thing, how we approach that thing, how we use that thing. That thing in and of itself is passive. It doesn't have a soul. It doesn't have what you and I have. Okay? It's just an object. What you and I do with that thing is the problem. I think we all know this. This is, this is pretty basic uh, anthropology that we're talking about here. Uh, but it's just true, right? Um, because we're all born into and under sin, this is what we do with almost anything that's around us, right? And like I said, this is biblical anthropology 101, right? It's not fun to hear, but it's helpful to know. We all need to know this. Therefore, we are not born neutral. We are not born able to do good or bad just by throwing a switch. We, in our heart of hearts, are off. We are off. This is what Jesus is saying in terms of being 
clean in terms of being righteous. Even our best works, our most righteous deeds apart from Christ in us are tainted before a holy God, right? Isaiah 4, 64, 6 makes this clear. Our righteousness, our best, is as filthy rags. And I'm not going to tell you today what the filthy rags is. We're going to eat soon. Someone once said, and I love this, Jesus saw the best in me, and then he died for it. I love that. This is really what's being talked about here. Like even our best isn't good enough because the problem is in here. It's inside of us. So Jesus is making clear to us that a man's greatest problem is not outside of him. It's inside of him. And if it's inside of us, the question then is how in the world are we able to fix it? <laughs> right? Like how do we fix that if the problem's within us? How do you escape it? How do you run from it? How do you protect yourself? How do you protect your kids? Homeschooling? This is what we did. And, and again, I'm pro-homeschool for many reasons on many levels, and this is a whole another deal. But part of the reason that me and my wife did it in the day was to put up a wall that was impenetrable so that those bad things and those bad people could not get to our kids. And the joke was kind of on us as we got older in our parenting to realize like, oh, it's, it's been in the house the whole time. <laughs> the call came from inside the house, you know what I mean? Like, like it's in that, like, wherever you go, there you are. But we didn't know that. And because we didn't know that, we thought that everything else contaminated our children. We didn't even, we, we had no, like, sense of, like, gospel parenting. When we're, everything was moral parenting. Do this, don't do that. And if you do this thing that I told you not to do, you're getting a spank. You know what I mean? Like there was no gospel. There was no treatment at all of their hearts and their condition and where the enemy lies, where the danger is. This is so vital for you, young parents. I wish I knew then what I know now. The problem is already in them. Wherever you go, there you are. There's no way to hide from this. There's no way to completely safeguard from this. There's no way to combat it. There's no way to really stay pure from it. You can't really bring forth a godliness from it. This is why the doctrine of depravity matters so much in understanding every single thing that's going on around us in the world that we live in. This is why things like the banning of guns is futile. It's futile. It is not a solution because the gun itself is not the issue. That object is superficial. The one holding it is the issue. That's the problem. Cain murdered Abel with a rock, right? Or more accurate still, Cain murdered Abel with his heart. Because it existed here, the rock existed here. This is the reality and the truth of our problem and our depravity, right? Again, our sinfulness is always looking for someone else to blame, something else to blame other than ourselves because we do not want it to be true that the problem of evil is us, but it is. And this got Jesus killed talking about it. It's us. Jesus does want us to know this so that we might stop looking to ourselves, you ready, as the solution. I know what I just said is completely stupid compared to what you will 
walk out of this door and here everywhere else. But we are not the solution. And this is why Jesus is telling us this. He wants us to know that we are not the solution. Education is not the solution. Behavioral modification is not the solution. Self-help therapy is not the solution. I'm not saying there's never a place for something like that. More self-esteem, like it's not the solution. That which makes us happy, I just need to do more of what makes me happy, is not the solution. It just means that you're going to hurt yourself more and the people around you more as you pursue that, right? Um, we will even think like the Pharisees, just buckle down, pull your pants up, right? Try harder to be better. That's the solution. No, it's not. These dudes are in trouble, and they don't even know it. They're in trouble, and they don't even know it. In a way, Jesus is saying here, without, again, getting too gross, what comes out of a man is far more disgusting than what we can possibly put into a man, or better yet, what man expels from his heart is far more disgusting than that that the body expels into the sewer. This is really what Jesus is saying. That's pretty hard. Your diet is not what defines you. It's not what makes you dirty or clean. Your heart is what makes you dirty. So here's the good news. The good news is that we can eat whatever we want, right? And we don't even have to wash our hands. We can just, you know what I mean? Have fun, just like you're a kid again, right? Uh, the good news, uh, our, our, our diet cannot disqualify us from the love of God from a relationship to God. The bad news, our hearts already have. That's the bad news, right? In other words, everybody's guilty, everybody's busted. Everybody's busted on this one. No one gets away. So, so here's the question. If the problem lies with us, where do we find the solution? Outside of us. It would be silly for me to think that I can go to the same place that's the problem to find the solution. You cannot. We are not the solution. The world, again, the world's going to point to more education, more therapy, more self-help, all of which uh, causes us to look within, but God says, look over here. Look at me. Look at my son. Look at this cross. Look at this empty tomb. Look out here. Look out here. Because he alone, Christ alone is untainted. He alone is holy. He alone is healing. He alone is clean. God's proclamation in the gospel of his son is that Jesus is the only one that can perform a heart cleansing, heart transplant at the level in which you and I need it. And that's exactly what we need. We need our hearts to be made new. We need new ones. We need new ones. I love John 13. Uh, the washing of the feet, obviously. Famous passage. So they're, they're eating. This is a whole another subject, but as a side note, I want you to notice that when Jesus actually goes to do the cleansing, they've already been eating. Like the meal's already go on, not been going on. So there's like a succession of cleansings that would go on at Passover throughout the meal. But he stops at one point, puts a towel around his waist, fills up a bowl of water, gets down there, says, Peter, let's go, right? And what does Peter say? No way. Like Peter rebukes Jesus. Almost like you're crazy if you think I'm going to let you do this to me. Right? And what does Jesus say? If I do not do this, you can have no part in me. If I do not wash you, you can have no part 
right? And then what does Peter say? Well, don't, don't just stop at the feet then, <laughs> right? Like, like, keep going. And, and this is actually the reality of what we're talking about. Like, only Jesus can, like, reach and clean and disinfect the places that you and I cannot reach, right? We need Jesus to come in and, and do a full, extreme makeover, cleansing-wise, on you and I, or we will not be clean. We will remain defiled. This is why the gospel of Christ matters. This is why the work of Christ matters. This is why the blood that ran deep and wide matters. It's because you and I have sin that is deep and wide. We need Christ by faith to purge us, to cleanse us from that which defiles us, which is you and I. This is the hope of the world. This is the hope of the nations. This is the hope of this neighborhood and this community. And you and me is Christ. He is our only hope. Now, he doesn't get there in this narrative. He doesn't, he doesn't like bring it home, right? But we all know where this is going. Like what we're watching here in Matthew with the teachings of Christ is a succession of him setting up things that we need to know so that when he does the thing, the light goes on. And it's like, it is finished. Oh, it's finished. I get it now right? This is what we're seeing here. Praise God that Christ was faithful, even when you and I were dirty. You know what I mean? Even, praise God he invites us to the table, even though we haven't washed our hands. You know what I mean? Like, it's a big deal. And I would just encourage anybody who has never been cleansed by the blood of Christ, today's your day. Because it happens right where you're sitting. You don't have to do some song and dance and skip down the aisle right where you are if you have faith that what I am saying is true and Christ is your only hope for the forgiveness of sins and righteousness, today is the day. This moment's the moment. Lord, thank you for your word once more that hurts, <laughs> but ultimately it hurts so that we may live. Thank you for being a truth teller. Thank you for not mincing words. Thank you for not being soft. Thank you for not being a coward. Thank you for speaking up and speaking out to what men need most. God, make us the same. We ask it in your name.